Okay, if you have a Bible, uh, turn to Romans chapter 7. Uh, We're continuing our series in Romans. Romans is all about the gospel of God. And uh, chapter 7, it's all about the role of the law in our lives. How do we relate to um, God's law uh, now that we've been saved by grace? Uh, Paul's going to talk about that right through chapter 7. And we're going to look at the first um, section of this, uh, verses 1 to 6. So hear the word of God, Romans 7, verse 1 to 6. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, uh, we were reminded in the psalm that your word is a, a lamp to our feet and a light for our path. And we saw in that psalm the, the delight that the, the psalm writer had in your word. And we pray that we would have that delight now so that we would listen and we, we would want to know uh, what you are saying to us. From this passage, we pray that you'd give us understanding, Father, but also a heart that wants to put into practice what we learn. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have a question. What is your attitude toward God's law? Or to put it another way, what role do you see God's law playing in your life? See, that's, that question is actually relevant to every person because everyone has a sense of right and wrong and everyone, by and large, agrees with the Ten Commandments, or at least most of them. But how do you relate to God's law? Do you see the law as a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, do you see the law as a burden or a blessing? Uh, Is it something that you feel you are obligated to obey or something that is optional, something that might, you know, tidy your life up a little bit, but, or is it something you just don't really give much thought to at all? Uh, See, this is the issue that Paul is addressing in this part of um, Romans, in Romans 7. Uh, You see, what's come before this, uh, chapters 5 and 6, Paul has been telling us how the gospel transforms our lives, uh, how the gospel frees us from the power of sin 
so that we can serve the Lord Jesus uh, who has died for us. And one of the key statements that Paul made regarding what Christ has done is actually chapter 6, verse 14. Uh, If you've got your Bible, have a look at that. It says, uh, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Now, notice that statement, you are not under law, but under grace. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to not be under law? Does that mean that we can do away with the law? No, that that now obeying the law is optional? Is that what it means to not be under law? Now, Paul knew that his readers would have heard that statement and, you know, the eyebrows would have raised. They would have, huh, what, what are you saying? Not under law? How could that be? And so after continuing his, uh, you know, talking about what it means to be freed from sin, Paul returns to this issue of the law. What does it mean to not be under the law? And chapter 7, he answers the question, uh, especially in our passage today, and he does it by using an illustration from marriage. And the illustration, it's fairly complex because it has a few um, different layers. Uh, But by talking about marriage, what Paul does, he uses it as an illustration and he talks about two marriages, actually. And the illustration shows us that you can be in a deadly marriage, which is married to the law, or a perfect marriage, which is to be married to Christ. And then in verses 5 and 6, he shows us the new way of life that this, this marriage to Christ gives us. And so they're actually our three points, the deadly marriage, the perfect marriage, and the new, the new way of life that, that comes as a result. So let's have a look at this. Uh, first, the deadly marriage to the law. That's in verses 1 to 3. Uh, Paul first states the principle in verse 1. He says, Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? So Paul's talking about God's law here and the assumption behind this statement is that God's law is not something that you can take or leave. Okay? God's law, it's not optional. It's not something that we can either embrace or reject because we're actually bound by God's law. See how it says the law is binding That's how God's law works. It's binding. And in some ways that should be obvious because God as our creator, uh, he has authority over us and therefore we are obligated uh, to obey him as his creatures. However, there is a big, big problem with us being bound to the law and that is, as we saw in chapter 5, we're all born in Adam. And if we're, because we're born in Adam, we all share in Adam's sin nature. And therefore, because of our sin nature, it actually means we're bound by sin. So do you see the problem? What happens when you're bound by the law and bound by sin? What happens? You can't keep the law. You can't actually obey it. And so we're in this major bind. We're stuck under this thing that says, obey or be condemned, and yet because of sin, we can't obey perfectly, and so what happens? The law condemns us. 
That's what it means to be bound by the law. You're actually under its condemnation. And if that's the case, then, you know, if all God's law can do for those bound by sin is condemn you, then one thing that's very obvious, you can't be saved by keeping the law. Uh, And Paul made that point very clearly um, back in chapter 2. We can't fix our sin problem by the law because what does the law do? It condemns sinners. Okay, it shows you where you're wrong and it sets out a sentence uh, and the sentence of the law is um, death. Now, our natural inclination is to think that we can fix our sin problem through obeying the law. I mean, if you ask the average person, you know, if there's a God who you're going to meet on the other side of death, do you think he will let you into heaven? And most people will say, yeah, sure, because I'm a good person. You know, I haven't, haven't murdered anyone. I haven't stolen uh, much. I haven't uh, lied too much. Uh, Most people think that their good deeds will at least outweigh their bad deeds. But what verse 1 is saying is that we're all bound by the law, which means to keep it all. So the entry point or the entry into heaven is actually to keep the law 100%. The very thing we can't do because of our sin And so rather than seeing the law as the solution to our sin, it actually is the very thing that condemns us. We're bound under its condemnation because we're born in Adam. And verse 1 says the only way to escape the bondage of the law is to die. See, verse 1 says the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. So that's the general principle Only death can release you from the binding nature of the law. Now, Paul illustrates that with this illustration of marriage uh, in verses 2 to 3. So let's have a look at that. Uh, For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Now, at one level, this illustration is very straightforward. It's just making that simple point uh, that when you're married, marriage is for life. Uh, You know, the bride and groom, when they're at that ceremony, they they vow to love each other until death do us part. And that's that's an example of a, a legal binding relationship. But as Paul's illustration shows, if in this case, the husband dies, then the wife is freed from that legal binding relationship and what releases her from it is death, so the death of the husband. And that's the point of the illustration. Death is the only way to be released from the law. And and so Paul, but he's illustrating our relationship with God's law. And by using the illustration of marriage, it's, it's like he's saying, you know, you're bound to the law as long as you live, It's until death do you part. So it's a way of saying that we're actually married to the law. It's a very negative way of using um, the idea of marriage, you know, bound, (laughs) a binding relationship. That doesn't sound nice. Um, But that's actually the case. To be married to the law is a terrible marriage. It's It's a horrible marriage because it's a marriage between a sinner and the law, okay, 
That's a marriage of two incompatible parties. And so what happens when a sinner is married to the law? Constant friction. See, as a sinner, you can't satisfy the law. You're constantly breaking it. The law has no power to help you. It has no mercy to forgive you. All that it can do is condemn you. See, in that kind of marriage, it's like constant friction. One breaking the other, one condemning the other. It's an impossible situation. That's the deadly marriage that we all start out in, in life. A sinner bound to the law until death. But there's good news in this passage. And the good news is in verse 4, the good news is that there's a way to escape marriage to the law and enter a perfect marriage. And that's, uh, we see that in verse 4 where Paul, he applies the marriage illustration to us. So look at verse 4. He says, likewise, my brothers, so here's the application of the illustration, likewise, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Okay, remember in the illustration, the only way to escape the marriage was a death and, you know, we have to die to the law. That's the point of the first three verses. We've got to, we have to die to the law. Verse 4 says, for everyone who believes the gospel, that's exactly what's happened to you. You've died to the law. How? Through the body of Christ. Now, behind that, Paul is referring again to Union with Christ. If you remember that from two weeks ago, we talked about union with Christ. What that means is that, that when, you're, when you become a believer, uh, your relationship to Jesus is such that you're actually united to him spiritually. And when you're united to Christ, it means that everything that's true about Jesus, everything that Jesus achieved in his life, in his death and his resurrection, it's all considered yours as if, as if you did it because you're united to Christ. And so if you think about Jesus, you know, unlike us, he had no sin, which meant he never broke the law once, not in, in, a, in a deed, not in a word, not even in a thought. He kept the law perfectly his whole life. And so he's the only one who didn't deserve the penalty of the law, which is death. However, what did Jesus do? He went to the cross. He went to die. Why? To be condemned in our place. Okay, to die the death we deserved for our sin. And as a result of Jesus keeping the law and then dying to pay for our sin, what's happened? The requirements of the law have been fully met and the penalty of the law has been fully met all by Jesus. And the moment you put your trust in Jesus, you're united to him. So God considers all of that as belonging to you, which means you've died to the law because you have died. You actually have died. When did you die? On the cross with Christ, in your union with him. That's this wonderful doctrine of, the un- of, un- of that. And that only comes through faith in Christ. If you don't 
put your trust in Christ, that's exactly where you still are. You're still in this relationship with the law that says obey or be condemned. But in Christ there is freedom. In Christ there's a way to die and yet still live. So that's the good news. But why? Why did God do that for us? Why did he release us from the burden of the law? Why did he set us free from condemnation? Well, that's what the rest of verse 4 tells us because the rest of verse 4 says that it's so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Now, here's the other layer of Paul's marriage illustration. Remember in the illustration, the wife, uh, you know, her husband died, so that released her from that first marriage. But then what happened? She gets remarried. She then belongs to another. And Paul applies that part of the illustration to us as well, that when Christ set us free from the law, it's not just so we could be independent, you know, that we could belong to ourselves. No, no, he did it so that we might be remarried, so that we would belong to him. To belong to Jesus. Do you know this language of belonging? It is, it's the, the language of marriage. So to belong to Christ means that you're in a relationship with him that is as intimate and as, as personal uh, as a marriage itself. So you're married to Christ. This is why the Bible uses that language that we are the bride of Christ because that's the nature of our relationship to Jesus. And that actually changes everything. I mean, if you're in a relationship with Christ that's as intimate and as binding as a marriage, then that really does completely change your life. You know, for instance, it tells us that the focus of your life now is what? It's Christ. Okay, the focus of your life is not a theological concept. The focus of your life as a Christian is not a set of principles to live by. Maybe the Christian life, it's all about Jesus. He's the focus because it's about a relationship. Uh, the Christian life, it's not just a written code. It's actually a relationship with a real person, one who has died for you, one who has risen for you. In fact, this marriage illustration, it's actually very helpful to think through to understand the shape of the Christian life. How does the Christian life work? What are we supposed to be focusing on if we belong to Christ? And this marriage illustration helps us because it shows us that we no longer live independently of God. Uh, there's no independence anymore. I mean, that's the whole point of marriage. Can you imagine, you know, imagine a marriage, a wedding ceremony, and here's this couple, they exchange vows, they put the rings on, they go and have the big celebration, and then each goes off and lives completely independent, separate lives. Can you imagine that happening? Of course not. That's not marriage. When you get married, your independence is gone. It's over. There is no independence anymore. And the privilege of that, the benefit of losing your independence is that you now have a relationship in which 
There's this opportunity for relational intimacy that you would never know otherwise. And that's what we have in Christ. Through him, we've died to the law so that we can belong to him. And so the Christian life is all about him. It's all about knowing him. It's all about enjoying him, spending time with him, talking to him, listening to him. Do you see how that helps us understand what the Christian life actually looks like. And if you're in a relationship with Christ that is like a marriage, then at the very heart of it is this desire to please him. Because after all, that's the mark of a good marriage. How do you know if you've got a good marriage? You know, because the thing that brings you the most joy is the joy of your spouse. Okay, you You know you've got a good marriage when the thing that makes you most happy is them being happy. And, 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 and so in a good marriage, you're, you're always thinking, what can I do? How can I serve my spouse? How can I make them happy? How can I, or, or what things in me need to change? What things might upset them that I need to get rid of? You're always thinking that in a, in a good marriage. And it's like that in our relationship with Christ. We actually want to please him. We want to obey him. We want to serve him and honour him. In fact, that is the ref- that's the fruit of this relationship. Did you notice that at the end of verse 4? That we're in this relationship with Christ, the end of verse 4, in order that we, may, that we may bear fruit for God. Now, do you notice what's going on here? Notice how Christ has freed us from the bondage of the law so that we can belong to him. And when you belong to him, the main thing you want to do is please him. You want to know what he likes and what he doesn't like. You want to change your life to meet that. So notice what's going on. Doesn't this sound like law again? Okay, we're freed from the bondage of the law to come into a relationship where you want to obey Jesus. Doesn't that sound like law again? Well, kind of, except there's, there's now a huge difference, massive difference, because in Christ the law no longer binds you. Okay, You're not under that burden of obey or be rejected. In Christ the law no longer condemns you. The threat of punishment is gone. It was taken away at the cross. And so if Christ has freed you from the burden of the law, And if he's freed you from the condemnation of the law, then what are you left with? You're left with the goodness of the law. Because, I mean, that's the thing. Well, Paul will talk about this more in the next verses, but the law actually is good. You know, when when you talk about the bondage of the law and now it's a, a, um, uh, what was the first point? A terrible marriage. (laughs) Um, It sounds like, boy, the law is terrible. But guess what? The law is not the problem. Sin is the problem. Uh, But when Christ frees you from from sin and sin's penalty so that the law is now no longer a threat, now the law is actually your friend. It's something you can look to because the law shows us what God is like. The law shows us what God likes and doesn't like. And therefore, the law now becomes the believer's guide for how you can actually love the one who first loved you. 
And so as believers, we actually do keep the law, but we keep it as the fruit of a relationship. The focus of the Christian life is is not the law on its own. The focus is Christ. And as we know him and live for him, the fruit of that is we end up keeping the law. So that's what it means to not be under law but under grace. You're not under the, the bondage. You're not under the condemnation. But you do keep the law as the fruit of the relationship. So that's, that's the perfect relationship to Christ. Now that, that leads us all to the third point, which is this new way of living, this new way of, of serving. Uh, because when we're married to Christ, we do have a new ability um, to serve him. And we see that in verses 5 and 6. So in these last two verses, Paul contrasts the old way of life that we used to have when we were bound to the law with the new way of life that we have now that we're bound uh, to Christ. So let's read those verses. Verse 5, For while we were living in the flesh, okay, before we were converted, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So this contrast, it shows us what the new life that we have is like. Now, but it does it by contrast. So what was the old life like? What was life like when you were bound under the burden and condemnation of the law? Well, here it is. Verse 5 shows us that before we're saved by Christ, the law could not improve our lives. It couldn't make you a better person at all. In fact, in many cases, it makes you worse. The law in an unsafe person actually makes them worse. Because look at what Paul says. What does the law do? It identifies and stirs up sin. Verse 5 says that our sinful passions are aroused by the law. Okay, for someone still under sin, the law, it's like waving a red flag to a fighting bull. What happens when you wave a red flag to a fighting bull? The inner beast is aroused. Okay, the the bull comes alive and wants to kill you. (laughs) That's what sin is like when sin meets the law. Okay, when sin meets the law, it's like it, it, it's aroused. It, it gets, it's like it gets its back up. Now, it's this attitude that says, no one tells me what to do, and to prove it, I will break the law to prove that no one tells me what to do. That's what it means that, that sin is aroused by the law. And again, it's not the law's fault. The law is good, but sin, that's the very nature of sin. That's the perversity of sin. When sin meets the law... Just wants to do nothing but break it. It's a very heart of sin. And therefore, when we were bound to the law, when we were bound to sin, all we could do is produce fruit for death. That's why you can't change people just by heaping on more laws. Okay, you, you think about our, our witness as a church. Now, here we are. We want people to come to know God. It's not going to do any good just to go out there and tell people commandments and rules saying, you know, you have to fix up your life. Here's some laws. 
that's not going to help people. It's going to make them worse. Uh, you can't bring people closer to God just by giving them the Ten Commandments. Or parents, you can't raise godly children just by giving them the law. What do they need? They need the gospel. Okay, they need to know Christ because only Christ can set a sinner free, free from the law's bondage, free from the law's condemnation to come to this relationship. And for those who Christ has set free, look at what verse 6 says. We are now released from the law, uh, from its bondage and condemnation, having died to that which held us captive so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. See, it's serving in, in the new way of the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, to have the Spirit means to have God dwelling inside of you. To, to have the Spirit means to have the assurance that you belong to God. Uh, it means to know that you are fully accepted in Christ. It means to have that assurance that all of your sins have been taken away, that the law no longer condemns you. That's what it means to be in the Spirit. And, and all of that's just a preview because Paul's going to spend all of chapter 8 talking about life in the Spirit. It's, um, you know, people say it's the greatest chapter in the Bible, and they're probably right, and we're going to find that out soon. Uh, but the only thing Paul does tell us here about life in the Spirit is that it's not in the old way of the written code. The old way of the written code. What's the written code? The written code is to have the law externally written as opposed to something that's internally written on your heart. The old way of the written code, it's like to have the law outside of you kind of like a stick. You know, do this or else. Do this or be condemned. That's the old way of the written code. But the new way of the Spirit is to have that inner delight in God. It's to have this relationship with Christ where, where we love him and want to serve him. That's what the Spirit does. He, he writes, really, he writes the law on our hearts so that love for Christ is the focus of our life. You can only get that through Jesus. And so as a result, we don't obey Christ out of fear of punishment. We don't obey because we're worried that he's going to reject us. No, we're fully accepted through the cross, and therefore we obey out of gratitude. And that's the whole new motivation for serving. That's the whole new framework for how to live. It's the new way in the spirit. It's a service that we saw last week. It actually feels like freedom. And I wonder, do you hear, do you have that? Do you have this joy of knowing Christ that, that means that you just want to obey him, you want to serve him? You, know, you, don't, you don't feel like the law is this crushing weight, I have to do this or, or I'm going to be rejected, but rather, no, I have Christ, he's taken all that away, now I can serve him in freedom. Do you have that? Or how do you experience that more? How do you experience it? Well, it's all about relationship. How do you experience a relationship? By spending time in it. By talking. By listening. That's how you enjoy a relationship. Communication. Get to know Christ more. That's the way. And as you do that, you'll know more of the freedom 
of living in this new way of the spirit. So there you go. How do we relate to the law? Well, you've died to its bondage. You've died to its condemnation. You're set free for a new way, which means you do keep the law, but out of the joy of relationship, the fruit for God. So may you all know that. May you actually walk in that. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, so much for this um, release that we have in Christ through the cross. We thank you that that, that law that as, as a, a form of bondage, as a do this or be condemned, that that's now gone. And we thank you, Father, that that crushing weight, that distress of thinking that, that the law, it, it is standing over us, condemning. We thank you that that's completely gone in the cross. And so that we can know you and love you as those who have been set free. We thank you for this, Father. We thank you also that having been set free, it's actually we're free for this relationship with you, that we can know you as our God, as our Father, Jesus as our Saviour and friend, and that we can know him as, as like a like a husband. So, Lord, we thank you that you've done all of this by your grace and that this freedom that we have is something that we can never achieve ourselves. But help us, Lord, to make the most of it. Help us to see our life as not just uh, you know, talking to Jesus maybe once a week or, or thinking about him just on a Sunday morning, but help us, Father, to see that all of life is about knowing him and serving him. And we ask it in his name. Amen.